The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. What can I do for you? So we wrote a product integration sketch. Good. But we wanted to run it by you first because it's about how GE is making us do this. And we were kind of hoping that the GE executive in the sketch could be played by you. I get it. The whole self-referential thing. Letterman hates the suit. Stern yells at his boss. Nixon's sock it to me on laughing. Yeah. Hippie humor. That's what I'm going for. These days, the world of entertainment and the world of politics seem to be one and the same. It's not so much that the lines are blurred. It's that there are no lines at all. The election of Donald Trump as the 45th president of the United States signaled a paradigm shift in the way American voters viewed the electoral process. However, the phenomenon of entertainers as heads of state or government has not been without precedent, even in the United States. With this third and final part of a three-part series, on this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over how certain presidents of the United States have contributed to and participated in the world of arts and entertainment. Later, I will focus on three particular U.S. presidents and their relationship with arts and entertainment, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. This is ARC. God bless television. To the movies, to good movies, to every possible kind. Make it so. Where are my dragons? Yo, Adrian! Nothing for you! Welcome to Earth. Stick around. No slices for white. Clever girl. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm 37? Are you the key master? I'm Omar. Who the hell are you? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Arts Review and Commentary. I'm your host, Omar Latiri, and thank you very much for listening. This episode is the third of three parts exploring how the President of the United States has been portrayed in various forms of art. In part one, I examined how real presidents have been portrayed. In part two, I explored how fictional presidents have been portrayed. And here in part three, I'll go over how the presidents of the United States themselves have contributed to the artistic world and what types of art they enjoyed. As always, this episode is brought to you by ARC's Amazon page. Shopping Amazon through artsreviewandcommentary.com is the best way to support this show and all the other shows in the Realm Network continue to provide free, on-demand news and entertainment. The Warrior Poet the Philosopher King, the Renaissance Man. These are terms that refer to individuals whose talents cannot be confined to one particular occupation or whose lives resist one particular definition. Notable individuals in human history have mostly been those whose lives were centered around one specific area or another, and it is rare to find one whose life's contributions are varied. There aren't many scientists or mathematicians who are also known as great artists or athletes, or vice versa. For the most part, people are content to have experts remain in their lane, especially where entertainment is concerned. In my high school U.S. government class, I remember my teacher telling the story of how President Harry S. Truman's daughter had a recital where her performance was panned by a Washington Post music critic. President Truman, against the advice of his aides, then wrote a scathing letter to the critic, a letter which included a threat of bodily harm. 
the letter actually garnered a bit of support for President Truman, despite his decreasing popularity. After hearing this story in class, I wondered how much of it was true. Now, in my mind, I pictured a young kid who was simply playing the piano to entertain some guests at the White House, the way I often did as a kid when my parents had dinner parties. Talk about projecting. Also, my imagination led me to believe that this music critic was simply one of the invited guests at this White House dinner party, and he took it upon himself to write up a review in the paper as if he was at an actual professional recital. The truth was this. Margaret Truman, the only child of President Harry Truman and his wife Bess, was an aspiring singer who started her career as a soprano in 1947 at the age of 23. She performed in numerous venues, and the critical praise given to her performances was suspected to have only been given due to the media's unwritten rule of not criticizing a family member of a sitting U.S. president. Then, in December of 1950, after attending a performance of Ms. Truman's at Constitution Hall, Washington Post music critic Paul Hume broke that rule and wrote a rather harsh review. Despite praising Ms. Truman's personality, his criticisms of her artistic ability included such phrases as cannot sing very well, is flat a good deal of the time, more last night than at any time we have heard her in the past years, and still cannot sing with anything approaching professional finish. The day after his review was published, President Truman handwrote a letter addressed to Paul Hume at the Post, the letter was a short and angry rebuke at Paul Hume and included this gem. Someday I hope to meet you. When that happens, you'll need a new nose, a lot of beefsteak for black eyes, and perhaps a supporter below. So, basically, a sitting U.S. president, offended by professional criticism of his daughter, threatened physical violence on a member of the press. But... President Truman earned a bit of support from many Americans who could relate to not a politician, but a proud father defending his daughter from a member of the elite who thinks his don't stink. But here's the thing. Opera and opera critics aren't really representative of the world of popular entertainment. Opera, theater, or ballet, or art, rock, stand-up, or burlesque are entertainment. Entertainers are perceived as shallow, and their craft is about the superficial task of engaging the senses. Conversely, non-entertainers can be perceived as stodgy or out of touch if they try to opine about entertainment-related topics. Oh, hello, Governor Rockefeller. Oh, no. I don't think we could get Mr. Nixon to stand still for a socket to me. Socket to me? <laughs> That classic, cringeworthy clip of presidential candidate Richard Nixon on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In is a perfect example of that. Nixon was a politician experimenting in a realm that he had no business being in, trying to appeal to a segment of the population that the elite dismissed, America's youth. Nixon won the presidency in 1968 by a razor-thin margin of the popular vote, and while Nixon's appearance on Laffin probably wasn't the deciding factor in a year that redefined American history, what with the assassinations of Dr. King and Robert Kennedy, his appearance did signal a venue for campaigning hitherto undreamt of. Did you seriously just say hitherto undreamt of? 
Yes, I did. The world of popular entertainment, long deemed beneath the attention and purview of the elite, now became more of a permissible venue in which politicians could campaign and promote their agendas. I'm going to allow that. However, Nixon's appearance on Laughing wasn't the most impactful time a presidential candidate appeared on an entertainment show. I think we all know what I'm talking about. On June 3rd, 1992, Bill Clinton appeared on the Arsenio Hall Show wearing sunglasses and playing Heartbreak Hotel on his saxophone. Then Governor Clinton and his campaign were willing not simply to go on a late night talk show, but to the hipper Arsenio Hall Show. This was a gamble that opened up Clinton to two polarizing opinions. A that he was willing to look quote-unquote unpresidential and therefore not a suitable candidate for the Oval Office, or B, that he was willing to engage the American public in a realm that more people would understand or recognize. I don't think the historical importance of this appearance can be understated. Clinton, then 45 years old, was seen as a youthful alternative to the stodginess of President George Bush and certainly of the elder Ross Perot. And despite not winning the majority of the popular vote, Clinton did win the plurality with 43% of the vote, compared to President Bush's 37% and Ross Perot's 19%. As with Nixon, Clinton's appearance on a mainstream entertainment outlet probably didn't have much to do with how people voted. But Clinton's Arsenio Hall show appearance did a lot to shape his perception in the American public. Perhaps one of the best pieces of proof of just how much this affected the public is that less than a year after his election, the new Fox Kids cartoon Animaniacs debuted, featuring this gem from its opening credits. Think about that. A sitting U.S. president made his way into the opening credits of an animated kids show and his likeness is presented as a sunglasses-wearing, sax-playing cartoon five times a week for hundreds of episodes. Forget Phil Hartman and Daryl Hammond on Saturday Night Live. Forget about Whitewater and the Star Report. This is how millions of kids saw Bill Clinton every day for years. Even if they didn't know that this caricature of Clinton was based on a specific performance, they knew, at least on a subconscious level, that Bill Clinton could also be an entertainer. Since then, the lines between politics and entertainment have only become more blurred with each passing year. When we come back, I'm going to go over how three very different U.S. presidents had significant impact in arts and entertainment, and how that has shaped the mindset of American voters over the past three decades. Presidents Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. There's a fair chance you don't like the news, and I get that. I'm Buzz Burbank, and I do a different kind of newscast I think you will like. I tell stories, true stories, because when you view it the right way, there's nothing more amazing than real life. I cover most of the stuff the big media outlets cover, but often with a different approach, richer in detail, and with a perspective that ties it all together so we have some idea of what it all means. I deliver stories that'll make you laugh, make you cry, and make you angry because... 
that is the nature of life, and because you cannot be a better citizen unless you understand and feel the news. I also don't cover some of the useless stories you'll find elsewhere, and do cover real stories the rest of the media somehow managed to avoid. With my nearly 40 years experience in broadcast journalism and a love of writing, this is a news program that's custom made for you. Buzz Burbank News and Comment is now a weekly show, new each Thursday and available free on iTunes, SoundCloud, and several other platforms and at buzzburbank.com. There's Ronald Reagan with a look in his eyes like they're going to put swinging doors into Congress, so it's going to be... <laughs> I'm back and I'm pissed off. <laughs> He's got that look in his eyes. Here's a president that said... What would this country be without this great land of ours? <laughs> Wait a minute. Excuse me, sir. Mr. Reagan, under redundant in the dictionary, it says, see redundant? <laughs> Fine, you got me on that one. Don't you see that look in his eyes? He's not dealing with the real world anymore. Here's a man in a presidential debate referred to army uniforms as costumes. <laughs> so in other words, War is the big film. So if he launches a nuclear weapon, that's a wrap, everybody. No, no, no. The candidacy and subsequent election of former actor Ronald Reagan to the presidency of the United States was shocking to a lot of voters. The perception of Reagan as a dim-witted performer by left-wing academics persisted due to the prejudice that a movie actor, regardless of political experience or education, could never have the necessary skills to be a U.S. president. The U.S. presidency was an office meant for the learned and intelligent, not for entertainers. Ronald Reagan understood that, and it is no coincidence his acting career and his political career are two completely separate phenomena. I was only five years old when Ronald Reagan was elected president, and 13 when he left, so naturally politics wasn't my priority. That's not to say I wasn't aware of politics. Living in the D.C. area made political awareness inescapable. As president, Reagan was a major authority figure in my life. While I couldn't necessarily comprehend everything he said when I was a kid, his addresses to the nation to me seemed friendly, reassuring, and paternal. For me, one of the most impactful moments was when he addressed the nation after the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded and with it, schoolteacher Krista McAuliffe. They, the members of the Challenger crew, were pioneers. And I want to say something to the schoolchildren of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. We'll continue our quest in space. There will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing ends here. Our hopes and our journeys continue. This was the Reagan that I knew and grew up with a kind and compassionate leader. That he was an actor before he was president was proof of that old saying that in America, anyone can be president. Rock, 
Someday when the team's up against it, brakes are beating the boys. Ask them to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the Kipper. I don't know where I'll be then, but I'll know about it. I'll be happy. Prior to doing this episode, I had only seen maybe a handful of clips of Ronald Reagan as an actor. I'd never seen an entire movie of his. It's a testament to the way Reagan conducted himself as a politician that his work during his career as an actor was not something I really cared to know about. I remembered that win one for the Gipper was something of a campaign slogan for Reagan, and I knew that it had come from a movie where he played some guy named Gipper. I finally got around to seeing Knut Rockne All-American only last year when I started researching Ronald Reagan for this episode. It was after watching this and 1939's Dark Victory that I realized that Ronald Reagan wasn't the huge film star I assumed he was. He was mostly a character actor in supporting roles. And as I watched King's Row, Bedtime for Bonzo, Murder in the Air, Louisa, and Hellcats of the Navy, I came to a rather startling conclusion. I didn't need to have seen any of his movies to understand how it related to Reagan as a U.S. president. So, what was Reagan like as an actor? In my opinion, Reagan was an excellent character actor, a performer with a great sense of dramatic and comedic timing, and comfortable in roles that didn't ask for too much. There are so many clips online of his performances for me to highlight any one, but suffice to say, whenever Reagan was on screen, he delivered. Basically, you knew what you were getting when you decided to watch a Ronald Reagan performance, and it wasn't going to be a waste of time. The biggest impacts that Reagan's acting career had on his political life were his public speaking ability and his marriage to actress Nancy Davis. You have to get some rest. I don't want to sleep, dream, or wake up. Sixty men trapped below with the sea rushing in. And the lucky ones that escape burning in the oil, riddled by bullets. Oh, Case. Those weren't just casualties. I knew them. Knew about their families and their plans. You know what I feel. Yes, I do know, Case. When you were overdue and I thought you weren't coming back... I imagined every awful minute of it. Don't you think I know? That was a clip with both Ronald and Nancy Reagan from the 1957 submarine movie Hellcats of the Navy. It's no secret that prior to his relationship with Nancy, Ronald Reagan was, like most in Hollywood, a partisan Democrat. His turn towards conservative values, especially those of the religious right, was heavily influenced by Nancy. And as Reagan became more and more interested in a career in politics, his participation in acting stopped. But Reagan's influence on the entertainment industry wasn't compartmentalized. Reagan's presidency oversaw a change in the zeitgeist of America. Consumerism and free market capitalism boomed, and a new attitude toward foreign politics developed. Instead of being haunted by the ghosts of Vietnam, the Reagan era went back and defeated them with a hawkishness and bloodthirst best exemplified with 1985's Rambo First Blood Part 2. Murdoch. I'm coming to get you. (laughs) 
1982's First Blood was a controversial and sympathetic look at PTSD-stricken Vietnam veterans. Controversial because Vietnam veterans at the time were still considered baby killers who deserved to be shunned by society. Rambo First Blood Part 2 had very little of that depth. It was just a revenge story with a lot of gunfire, torture, and murder. It was also a favorite of Ronald Reagan's, who saw the movie as a sort of catharsis for American guilt and shame over Vietnam. Reagan's enthusiasm for First Blood Part II legitimized the heavily muscled, bullet-spraying hero of the 80s, and a new cadre of action heroes was born, with Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, and Jean-Claude Van Damme leading the way. At the front end, i got to tell you, uh, I'm a huge fan of The Wire. I think it's one of the uh, greatest, uh, not just television shows, but pieces of art uh, uh, in the last uh, couple of decades. I, I was a huge fan of it. While Reagan was a retired performer in the world of popular entertainment, President Barack Obama was an academic. That clip came from an interview with The Wire creator David Simon in late March 2015. To be clear, it was President Obama interviewing David Simon, not the other way around. This was a president who understood the power and impact of art's purpose as a reflection of the world around us. Throughout his presidency, Obama used his knowledge of popular entertainment to relate to the American public. What separated him from men like Truman, Nixon, or Reagan was that Obama didn't shy away from pop culture. He embraced it. Let me try to give you some answers. Who is Barack Obama? Contrary to the rumors that you've heard, I was not born in a manger. I was, I was actually born on Krypton and sent here by my father, Jor-El, to save the planet Earth. <laughs> During his run for the presidency and throughout his administration, Barack Obama would release to the public his music playlists, his March Madness brackets, and his reactions to celebrity news. The cynical part of me would say that those were all calculated attempts to make it appear that President Obama was a man of the people, rather than a man with a genuine desire and interest in popular entertainment. I admit, I can't help but feel that there are those who dislike Obama so much that they would actually believe that. I am not one of them, but it is tough to trust politicians. Two things helped make me believe in Obama's sincere love of popular arts and entertainment. The first was the publication of his children's book titled Of The I Sing, which profiled 13 Americans, including singer Billie Holiday, architect Maya Lin, painter Georgia O'Keeffe, and baseball player Jackie Robinson. The second was when he spoke at a fundraising rally at the Apollo Theater in Harlem on January 19, 2012. Then to know that uh, Reverend Al Green was here. I'm so in love with you. Those guys didn't think I would do it. I told you I was going to do it. Calculated? Yes. Insincere? Absolutely not. Which brings us to our last president I'm profiling, Donald Trump. 
As much as he's put out there in the world that he is the energizer bunny of the American business community and real estate, he's always been a little bit lazy. He can get animated from time to time when there's a deal in front of him. But for a, a good chunk of his career, up until The Apprentice, he was waiting for the phone to ring. Donald Trump was back. The Apprentice really overnight repositioned him in the American imagination as the embodiment of deal-making savvy, capable entrepreneur, and business success. Ronald Reagan was a contributor to popular arts and entertainment. Barack Obama is a student of arts and entertainment. Donald Trump is a product of arts and entertainment. I think most of the Republican Party and a good portion of Democrats failed to recognize how much The Apprentice solidified his image in the minds of the very voters who ended up supporting him. That was Tim O'Brien, an author and journalist from the Bloomberg View on an episode of the Netflix series Dirty Money. In the sixth episode of its first season, Dirty Money profiled Donald Trump and the revelations as to how much of Trump's apprentice persona was manufactured was staggering. Here are apprentice producers Jonathan Braun and Bill Pruitt from that same episode. You know that shot of Donald when he comes down to announce his candidacy? We used that shot many times. Good morning. And we put on this like funkadelic kind of like wah, wah, wah music and it was just like, we'd sit back and go, this is ridiculous. But we thought it was funny, just didn't know how many people would actually look at that and go, that's cool, that's real. Really, you should watch that entire episode on Netflix, it is something else. What it also did remind me of was how people thought of Donald Trump prior to his run on The Apprentice. In the business world, Donald Trump was treated as a joke a man notorious for having numerous real estate failures. In popular entertainment, however, he was a real estate mogul. Being a failure at it was never part of the numerous cameos he would do in television and film. Before The Apprentice, he was treated in the tabloids like the socialites of decades past, having marriages and affairs whose publications only added to his brand, a brand that he profited from by licensing his name to anything, from Trump University to Trump stakes. The ubiquity of his presence translated into an image of prosperity and business savvy. Just as politicians weren't seen as pop culture celebrities, businessmen weren't either. So the novelty of having a businessman make cameos in television and movies made Donald Trump unique and garnered a certain amount of popularity to the American public who didn't care about Donald Trump's business acumen. When you think about it, Trump's initial success in getting into the minds of Americans couldn't have happened without the economic policies of the Reagan era. The era that promoted consequence-free excess with guilt-free superficiality could not help but produce a man like Donald Trump, a man from a time when there was no patience for having things like depth of character or caution diplomacy. Those of us who were kids during the Reagan years probably have fond memories of those times precisely because everyone, from children to grown-ups, enjoyed having fun, 
especially with entertainment. Kids watched television that marketed toys like Transformers and G.I. Joe, while adults reveled in escapist television like Dallas and Dynasty. It would only be a matter of time before kids from that era would want to grow up to emulate an adult of that era. Now, throughout the years of recording this podcast, I've made a point to not bring my political beliefs into my reviews and commentaries. I found it to be extremely limiting to either be supportive or discouraging of artists or stories based on one's own political agenda. It sometimes makes it difficult to have conversations with friends or family if I admit I enjoy something created by a person whose politics they disagree with. For progressives, my praise of Ronald Reagan's acting work may make it seem that I was a fan of Reagan in general. Conversely, my praise of President Obama might seem to be just another example of a liberal voice in a progressive echo chamber. In a polarized society, I get that. But a polarized society isn't a rational one, and the biggest casualty to partisanship is reality itself. What is real? How do you define real? President Reagan distanced himself from his acting career, not because he was ashamed of it, but because he wanted his politics to define him as a politician. Barack Obama understood entertainment as a powerful connective tissue that could bind Americans of disparate backgrounds. Both these men had depths to their character. But never in American history has there ever been such an unapologetically superficial human being elected to the office of the presidency as Donald Trump. I have long championed for the power of popular entertainment's ability to unite groups of people. But I underestimated the willingness of Americans to believe that reality TV was actual reality. I underestimated the gullibility of Americans who can't separate reality from fantasy. I would say that I'm shocked at the human inability to admit when we're wrong. But both the Reagan era and now the Trump era have shown us all that no one wants to admit they're wrong. I don't know if the United States will have an entertainer run for president again, but I hope if that happens, voters will judge that person based on reality, not reality TV. That's it for this episode of ARC. Thank you very much for listening. These three parts took over two years to complete, from inception to release, and I hope you're as proud of this as I am. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at arcreviews, and shop Amazon and Fandango at omarlatiri.com and artsreviewandcommentary.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is Arc. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network. Omar's, by the way, my favorite. It's got to be Omar. Right? I mean, that guy's unbelievable.